my new friend Chuck Dow. DaleWileyShow.com. So am I talking to Chuck Dow? Yes, sir. All right. Well, so before we talk about your incredible mission, let's talk about your encounter and your your friendship with DJP. DJP. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> so DJP uh, and I go way back. Uh, okay. We're connected. We're connected through music. We, uh, you know, this is going back to what feels a lifetime ago, but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so I when I was, you know, 20, 21 years old and incredibly wise at that age, I right. <laughs> no sarcasm well, I intended, right? Um, I actually uh I, I was pursuing a career as a uh a local rapper. Um okay. and uh, <laughs> we had a hip hop group and uh and we were pretty serious about it. So I mean, we we genuinely put out multiple albums and and toured sure. regionally and even you had some potential major label interest. Right? What was that? You worked with Lou Whitney at some point, right? We did, yeah. So that's obviously a memory I'll kind of treasure forever. Lou, wow. as you know, you know from personal experience, was a, a local legend and exactly. just uh, a fantastic guy. I had so much fun working in the studio with Lou, and, and yeah. we cut a, a few of our tracks. And, you know, obviously the style of music that we were doing was a little different from his bread and butter, but he was just right. so – incredibly talented in the studio and just such a kind, genuine human that anybody yeah. who ever crossed his path just absolutely right. loved him. Um, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, so DJP was our actual, was our DJ there for a few years. <laughs> and uh, then I, I suddenly got to a place in life where I realized I didn't want to be 30 years old and be a rapper. And okay. we, uh, we started, got serious about my career and put the musical career a little bit on the shelf. All right. And so what is your career now? So for my, my full-time job, I actually, uh, about seven, eight years ago, I left the industry I knew, and I started a financial planning practice. So I'm a financial advisor by day. Well, so tell me about your nonprofit. Yeah. So, and I don't know, you know, Dale, how, how in-depth to the story you want me to go, and I know obviously no, there's been some... Go as far as you want to. Tell, tell your story. So, yeah, so, you know, and I know obviously this has been highlighted by some pretty tough recent events in our community, too. But Absolutely, yes. Um, so I had a younger sister who really battled mental illness um, and depression really her whole life. Um, right. She tried multiple times to end her life and miraculously survived so many different attempts. In fact, her first attempt, um, she was only 12 years old, and she tried to shoot herself to end her life. Oh my the, only, the only thing that saved her life that day was that she tried to shoot herself in the heart and the gun kicked and narrowly missed and went through her shoulder instead. Wow. Um, and, you know, that age, being a female and using a gun is almost unheard of, right? Really, yes. Um, but she, so she battled depression her whole life. And, and, you know, as many people know, if you have loved ones or friends or even yourself, have battled depression, it is quite right. often a very long, drawn-out battle. It's not something that typically happens quickly. And she really fought that fight her whole life. You know, she'd have times that she'd do better and she'd struggle. And she, in fact, tried again about five years later. In fact, on my 21st birthday, she tried again, miraculously survived it. Mm-hmm. But really where where our nonprofit came to a head goes back to a story from 2009. And okay. What actually happened, so my sister and I came from a pretty um, blended family, if you will. 
Um, she was my half-sister. We had same mom, different dads. Right. She also had a half-sister who was same dad's, different moms, who was my okay. ex-stepsister, if you could follow that. Um, uh-huh. But in 2009, my sister Charity, her sister, her older sister came back in her life, and um, they, uh, you know, and, and her older sister wasn't always the best of influences in her life. But they got into an argument one afternoon and didn't talk for almost a full week. And before my sister Charity spoke again with her sister, uh, who was her name was Stephanie, Stephanie actually ended her life by shooting herself with the same exact gun that my sister used when she was 12. Right. And it just, I watched my sister Charity go through that experience and losing Stephanie to suicide and then you have this awful connection of the same exact gun she had tried to use when she was 12. Then right. on top of that, the guilt that she felt from getting into an argument and never getting to say she was sorry. You know, you just knew this, like, we're going into a very tough season again. And we tried to kind of surround charity with resources, but within 60 days, she tried again. And she miraculously survived it again. But this okay. time... She she tried to end her life by uh, cutting her wrists. And, you know, typically when someone cuts their wrist, they usually say that's a cry for help, right? Right. This was a little different. She actually chugged a bottle of pills. She drank all the beer she could find. And she literally took a kitchen steak knife and sawed into her arms and saw 12-point stars that stretched literally from her wrist to her elbow. Wow. Where she literally opened her arms up and was hoping that she would bleed out. And the only thing that, fa- that, that saved her life that day was that her roommate had found her very quickly right after it happened, and they rushed her to the emergency room, bandaged her up. Um, she had vomited, thankfully, half of what she had, uh, had ingested, and she survived. That afternoon, though, um, I went to see her. And, and, and one important piece was that, you know, my sister was more of, We had almost more of a father-daughter relationship because the way our family dynamic was. And I was one person she looked up to that, you know, in the in the previous times when she would see me, she would it would be very apologetic, right? Like Chuck, I'm so sorry. I was in a weak place. You know, you could just see her demeanor change when she would see me. Right. This time was different. So in 2009, I remember she was actually at the Marion Center here locally. And I remember walking in, um, and you could just see, number one, like, I've never seen a human being so just completely devoid of hope, right, just dead to the world. And the only words that she uttered to me that day was just, Chuck, I'm just mad that it didn't work. Wow. And it broke me, right? Like, sure. I just... You know, and I remember sitting in my car for probably two hours before I could even compose myself to drive home that day. Right. Um, And I drove home that night. And so now, of course, I'm dealing with my own emotions, right, watching my sibling who I care about go through this battle. And it's interesting that we started the conversation, you know, talking about my relationship with DJP and my music career. Um, ironically enough, in 2009, we had actually agreed to get back in the studio again and cut a third album. And the reason that's relevant is, so when all this is happening with my sister Charity, I was kind of in songwriting mode at the time because we were in the studio cutting an album. 
And so I go home that night, and literally the only thing I knew to do to kind of process my own emotions of what I was going through watching her struggle was I just sat down and started writing. And I wrote her this song that night that genuinely was intended to never be heard by anybody but her. Um, And I wrote this song, and the song was titled Borrow My Angel. And the whole concept of the song was, you know, she was battling and going through something that I didn't fully understand. You know, and they say we all have a guardian angel, and I felt like, you know what, you could use two guardian angels more than I even need my own at the moment, Sure. so I'll let you borrow my angel to help you get through this. Um, And what happens is, so she started doing better, and she finally got properly diagnosed with borderline personality disorder and bipolar disorder. Right. And she came to me about 6 to 12 months later, so this is 2010 now at this time, and really uh-huh. just said, you know, Chuck, this song is way bigger than the both of us. We really need to, to do something. Like, we need to share this concept of borrowing an angel with the world. Wow. Nice. Um, and so she and I spoke in 2010 about creating a nonprofit. And at the time, my vision was pretty simple. It was, hey, you know, she would be the face of it because I wrote the song to her. Sure. And she could travel around, you know, share her story of hope of how she battled through and, and as a survivor. Yeah. And that was the plan. Um, I started to do the paperwork and try to get the ball rolling on a 501c3 back then in 2010 and in 2011. Right. Um, at the time, though, I was going through career change. You know, I mentioned earlier about eight years or so ago, I decided to start a brand new business as a financial advisor. And right. what ended up happening is I learned quickly it's very difficult to to establish your own 501c3. And with sure. everything I had in my personal life, it kind of got pushed to the back burner and we never got it done. Right. Um, unfortunately, on April 24th of 2014, my sister ultimately lost that battle and she died that April. Um, so to fast forward to today, it really took a couple of years for me to kind of get through and really about 2016, 2017 is when we got serious and it was kind of that moment of, this is really my sister's legacy for her to continue to live on. You know, we talked about it while she was still alive, launching Borrow My Angel to become a nonprofit that is focused on suicide prevention and Uh mental illness awareness. And we finally really got the ball rolling in 2017. We officially have our 501c3. We finished that, I believe, in 2018. And we're working on some pretty exciting things to, to really try to create some additional resources for people who are battling depression and mental illness and for the family members and friends and those allies of people that are bat- fighting that battle as well. Well, you know, that is, you know, Gretchen Russell is the way we hooked up. And, of course, I love Gretchen. She's also the drummer for my band, Blastoff. So mm-hmm. it's, it's all interesting how many things come together. But, you know, I guess that what I want to know is, what can you tell someone who's feeling that they're helpless, they're feeling overwhelmed? Yeah. That's a great question, you know, and, and I'll, I'll give the disclaimer that I feel very unqualified to answer that question, sure. right? Because yes. um, yeah. that's not being a licensed professional. Um, so that's, that's the disclaimer for my answer, certainly. Um, <laughs> You know, Dale, I think more than anything, there's there's a couple layers to it. You know, number one, the, the more and more research that I do and we do as an organization, and the more I learn about how great this problem really is, 
Right. I think you first have to address the fact that part of why this, this battle is so complex, you know, in our society is the stigma that surrounds mental health to begin with. Back with Chuck in a minute, DaleWileyShow.com. Do you love music? Do you know about the musical map of Missouri? Dallas Wayne, Chuck Berry, Dave Alvin, Robbie Folks, The Skeletons, The Ozark Mountain Daredevils, Uncle Tupelo, Wayne Carson, Nellie, Lou Whitney, Symptoms Morell, City, Jeff City, St. Louis, St. Joe, Columbia, Buckle of the Bible Belt, the Studio on South Avenue in Springfield, 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 Missouri. Add the Missouri Music Podcast to your list of favorites. Lawyer, author, and Slewfoot Records label owner Dale Wiley takes you on a musical trip around Missouri while raising funds for Musical Map of Missouri, a nonprofit organization which will help ensure Missouri musicians affected by COVID-19. Visit MissouriMusicPodcast.com for more information. Tune in to the Missouri Music Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. With Chuck Dow, DaleWileyShow.com. Exactly. You know, it, it's so troubling and interesting to me that, like, you, you know, I, I often use the comparison of think about what our reaction is as a society and as a culture when somebody comes to you and says, Hey, Dale, I just left the hospital, and the doctor unfortunately told me I was diagnosed with stage four terminal cancer. Right. Every single one of us instantly react in such an empathetic manner of, I'm so sorry, if there's anything I can do, we're going to fight this, you know, and that's just how we react, and it's how we should react, right? Uh, Right. Unfortunately, when when someone says, hey, I'm battling this illness, because that's what mental illness is, it's a illness, right? Right. And I'm battling this, and it's so bad, I I can't physically get out of bed because this is such a struggle. We don't always necessarily react the same way. It's often, you know, and some of the reactions people hear are, you know, just suck it up and get over it. You know, you got to keep moving. Right. And so I think we have to start from a standpoint of can we, number one, remove the stigma and let everyone know that it's okay to not be okay. Right. And you're battling an illness. And so if we first start from that standpoint, then it's, okay, if we now know there's an illness, now can we – if, if we've established that as a fact, now how do we find treatment? How do we find resources? And I think that's really it. It's just surrounding that person with resources of not just professional help. And the, the beautiful thing about, especially in Green County and Springfield area where we live, there's a plethora of resources available, right? You know, you have all of our wonderful healthcare systems of Cox and Mercy and Burrell, you know, sure. and, and all these healthcare providers that, are, that have tons of resources. But there's other things out there. There's organizations such as NAMI, um, which is a peer-to-peer resource that's created. Um, you know, there's organizations like Community Partnership of the Ozarks that are trying to organize, you know, all these different, all these different resources that are out there. So I think that's really it, is, right? Is we could, if we can just establish the fact that, number one, this is an illness and we're going to treat it as such, then we start to put together a plan that we just surround that person with resources. Um, you know, the other thing that I'll say as well and just kind of a side note, you know, and one of the things that I've learned, and I certainly watched it in charity, my sister, and, and, and I, I know it from in having many conversations on this topic, sure. one of the lies, too, that I think depression tells those that are battling with depression 
is quite often when somebody begins to have suicidal ideation, that the lies that depression tells us is that they are now a burden on society. Right. And that those they care about, their friends, their family members, their, their, you know, the people in their circle, would actually be better off in life if they weren't here than if they are. Right. And I think so it's reminding that person to say that while you may have that as a feeling, that is a lie that your depression is telling you. Right. And you are important. You are valued. You do have value. And, And our lives are far more enriched by you physically being here with us than without you being here. Yes, because I just feel like so much of what we're all going through in Russ's death, everybody who knew him would have helped him if they thought he needed help, but I doubt that he expressed that. Yeah. And that's why it's such a complex problem, you know, and so, so much of that I think stems from this stigma around we are scared to raise our hands for help right? for fear of being judged because, yes. unfortunately, we, we've got to remove this stigma around mental health. Yes. And so what is your organization called? So it's Borrow My Angel. Okay. And that's our official name. And where's the website? Where can we go? So I'll be honest, we're still so in startup mode. The website, don't don't prepare to be blown away by it by any means. Um, It is very much, I would say it's a landing page that in fact even has some pretty old outdated information. Um, That is something that is on our radar to to ultimately put together and and put a much better representation of who we are and what we're working on. But however, the website is, it's borrowmyangel.org. Oh, wow. Well, that's so amazing, and I just think that it's such a great, you know, cause, and I'm so proud that you're doing it. Yeah. Well, and I'll if you if it's okay, Dale, I'll kind of share where we're headed. So interestingly enough, we we've had a little bit of a pivot. Um, You know, we have had multiple ideas over the few years of different resources that we could create that would help prevent suicide. And we've actually shifted some of our focus because what we're learning and what I think we've learned and the reason for our pivot is while I I do think there probably are gaps in the resource, uh, resources that are available, we're also finding there are a lot of resources out there that many people don't know about. And what we're starting to realize as an organization that we think perhaps the gap isn't necessarily the resources themselves, it's finding the resources, and and making sure that it, they're very easily accessible. So what I mean by that is I think the more and more research that we do and the more and more conversations we have with the many organizations in our area that are fighting the same fight that we are digging in and helping to fight as well, what we're finding that where potentially some of the gap is, is let's say, for instance, you know, Let's say, for instance, all of a sudden tomorrow, one of your close family members came to you and said, hey, Dale, I'm really battling this, and I need help, but I don't know where to start. Right. Well, for most of us, if we're not in this world or we're not a professional uh, licensed counselor and we're not in this world, trying to know where to start is so overwhelming. Right. Right. And like you even just asked, like what what are the resources we could provide? And look, 
I, you know, I'm not an expert by any stretch of imagination, but I have had a lot of conversations over the last few years, especially as we've launched a nonprofit and meeting some of the partners. But even I still feel very underqualified to say, hey, if you're battling, here's exactly where you need to start, and this is the entry point in how to find all those resources. Yeah. So what we are working on as an organization is to figure out how can we partner with other nonprofits, other healthcare providers in the area, and potentially even become, whether we become the conduit or we help create the conduit, could we create some portal that exists? that we could almost market and put out there to say, look, when somebody is battling today, here's like the one-stop shop that you could go to and say, there's thousands of resources available yeah. that you could surround that person with. Right. But for your specific scenario, so maybe you're battling uh, you know, addiction and coming through addiction. Well, here's some great resources if you're battling addiction. You know, maybe you have someone who is battling, you know, the stigmas around the LGBT community, then here are resources that are great to surround you and help you through that. You know, or because there, there's so many different variations of this massive problem that, that all, you know, really kind of tie into this suicide and mental health pandemic. So right. can we potentially create this one-stop shop that is very user-friendly that helps hold people's hand through the process and say, look, if this is where you're at, this is the demographic you're, you're, you fit into, and this is the, these are the kinds of problems that you or your loved one are, are facing, then, yeah, sure, there's thousands of resources out there, but you'd never know where to start if you didn't know. Sure. Rather than giving you the list of thousand, here's probably the two or three that you really need to start with that are going to be best suited to help you. The, the pinpoints, the place to go first. That makes Correct. kind of sense. Correct. And now, how about the pandemic? So how has this yeah. been affected in the pandemic? I, I think, unfortunately, it's magnified what was already a massive community problem. And right. I, I, I fear that the signs, um, you know, in the, and the, the evidence of a coming mental health pandemic, we haven't scratched the surface yet. Right. Um, you know, because, again, as a very, very unqualified person to tell you the solution is surrounding with resources, I do genuinely believe one of the big, the biggest things we can do when somebody is battling is just literally surround them with resources, right? Sure. Stories of hope, um, people that they can talk to that have been and walked in their shoes, professional help. I think it's literally just overwhelming them with all these professional resources and even volunteer resources that we can. And the right. challenge is, is that now you add in this layer of a global pandemic, and unfortunately because of everything that's happening with COVID, we've had to quarantine and we've had to isolate. And for someone already having any semblance of a mental health issue, right. isolation is one of the worst things that can happen. And again, sure. isolation tends to happen because of that lie, right? Like we talked about earlier that says, yeah. hey, I think my family and my circle would be better off without me, which is right. why people tend to kind of draw into themselves, isolate because they feel like that's the solution when in all actuality, uh, studies show that's the worst thing. Instead, we need the exact opposite. We need community. We need resources. We need people around to say, hey, you are important. You do matter. And how can we help you get to a place of healing? Right. Well, that is just a wonderful thought, and I'm so happy that you were able to come on, and I just love what you're doing. Thanks, Dale. Right. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm honored to be a guest. And, you know, and again, I, I hated hearing the news while I did not know him. It yeah. just, you know, every single time it happens, it's just, you know, it's such a difficult conversation, right? And right. unfortunately, sometimes because it's difficult, we often bury our head in the sand and don't have it. Yes. Um, which I don't think is, again, if we do that, we're never going to fix this stigma around mental health sure. and we're never going to take steps forward with creating resources that can fix it. Right. And, you know, even knowing that you need to have it, that's one of the big, the big deals yeah. is, you know, find out how to tell if someone needs it. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll kind of uh, – uh, shameless plug for not even a resource that's mine, but it's a resource that I'm a huge fan of, you know, what along that lines, right? Of how do you know the signs, right? Because, right. of course, when it happens, that's when we all go, how did I not catch this? Yes, I will exactly. tell you that Community Partnership of the Ozarks has a fantastic program that is mental health first aid training. And I don't have it in front of me to know kind of when their next class is. But for anybody listening and even you yourself, if you ever want to know more about, hey, what can I do just as a community sure. member that if right. somebody in my circle is battling this, what do I say? How do I point them in the right direction? It's right. a one-day class program. I highly recommend it. I think it's really, really well put together. Um, so you could go to Community Partnership of the Ozarks website and, and search for, again, it's mental health first aid training. Wow. Um, highly recommended. I've set through the program myself. And I think the more people that can then go through that program and are then equipped with the knowledge, then the better off we all are, right? Because really, right. again, exactly. what we're trying to accomplish is surrounding with resources. Right. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Absolutely, Dale. Thank you for having me. And again, uh, uh, so sorry to hear about your friend. And again, I know a lot of people in my circle were connected with him. He sounded like he was a great man. Really? Um, yeah. And I appreciate you having me as a guest to talk about some pretty tough but very important conversations. Yes. All right. Well, thanks so much. Thanks, Dale. Take care. DaleWileyShow.com.